Hi and welcome to the Andy Gorman Golf One Putt Podcast and we're here at the start of round two. This is round two with a difference and ultimately, you know, that's exactly what we're here to do, isn't it? You know, is to make a difference and, uh, you know, hopefully. And, uh, you know, round two is going to look a little different from round one and, you know, that's uh, something that I particularly like you know we mix it up a little bit and hopefully you'll be able to tell the difference um you know we will still a little bit of tour talk um but we are going to mix a few things up in there as well so uh you're here being able to see us as well as hear us we're actually uh, we're going to be here on youtube and you're going to be able to see some of the clips on our other social channels as well so we are Particularly thankful of those of you that are joining us on the different channels. So obviously, yes, you know, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Clubface Golf. My word, the list is growing. And of course, obviously, we're at, um, you know, we are doing what we're doing. So, uh, you know, that, that's cool. So um, it's live recording. It's all good. And it's great to go forward with. So, uh, you know, we're cracking on. Um, Gareth, great to see you. What's new? What's going on? All right, we've got a plan, but you've got, you're holding the cards at the moment. So yeah, definitely. I, I think today, I think today we've discussed talking about kind of almost trick and treats, and I think one of the first <laughs> treats that we've got to talk about is is the success of your players in the Robert Rock series. Yeah, all well, the Robert Rock series. For those of you that don't know, is a junior golf program here. It's a junior golf tour uh, here in the UK, predominantly Midlands, but I mean, it does get around and about. And uh, you know, I mean, if the Midlands stretches as far as Humberside and and almost on the edges of London, I suppose you know, sorry, it is getting there. Um, <laughs> so it's growing around the UK, and I, I, you know, from what I hear, it's going to be an even bigger and better uh, tour next year. Um, yeah, I've got three players that played in the finals, which I'm just absolutely stoked for. I mean, the, you know, the, the kids have played really well over the summer period. Of course, I'm affected by the L word, um, which we're about to do a 2.0 back end of this week. So those of you that, you know, around the world, yes, we're going into lockdown. I think we're not on our own from the point of view of uh, England is going into lockdown, but it looks like a lot of Europe is going into lockdown as well this, this week for a second time. But lockdown one affected a lot of the kids, you know, golf, and well, it affected all of us in terms of golf and a lot of the golf programme that was going out there. And subsequently, you know, we were, um, you know, we were affected. So, you know, we didn't get to see each other for face to face, you know, and, you know, from a coaching point of view until July, um, you know, and we got back up and running and, you know, kids are resilient, you know, I mean, they get right back on it. And, uh, you know, we've got uh, Kai and Ariana and, um, and Sam, you know, and they got off to a flyer and, you know, Sam's just come on board, you know, we're sort of helping him uh, straighten things up and, you know, hopefully without too much of a lockdown interference, we will be able to continue the work and we'll be doing things remotely, you know, as it was already been put into place uh, with parents and, and, and the kids. So, yeah, you know, they've, they've done extremely well, um, you know, top three finishes uh, from Sam and Ariana and Kai won the Order of Merit. So, you know, second year running, um, you know, so, so you know, really good uh, from that point of view. You know, I mean, how do you big the kids up? You know, really, I mean, they, they work hard all through the year. You, you know, you don't always get what you deserve. But, you know, what I can say is that, 
you know, I, I set a, a, my stall out with all of my juniors as well as I do with my clients. And, you know, with Sam, uh, you know, we're just getting going. Sam's 10, you know, Ariana's similar age, but she started coming to see me when she was about eight. Uh, and, you know, and Kai's 13. And, you know, the, I, I said to Kai, look, you know, you're a little bit older, but ultimately, you know, I'd like you to do a video every time you practice, post it on Coach Now, which is our training space platform. Um, I have over 800 videos from Kai, <laughs> which is just absolutely incredible. We've been uh, working together now, um, back end of this month, in about three weeks' time, we will have been working for two years, which, you know, just shows you the level of his commitment. You know, 800 videos, only in the last, you know, sort of a week or so. Um, has he done that you know there's a lot of counting but um, yeah it's a video a day at least uh, obviously and um, he just keeps going and going and going and going and you know oftentimes two and three videos that come through some at the golf club if that if you can't get to the golf club most of them you know will be a good view of his bedroom window um you know view of his bedroom sorry for um you know because he, he's got his own practice station and he's got the t-stroke and the t-stroke mat and the putting board and i'm sure there's other training products that are floating around put outs there as well of course and you know he he just trains and trains and trains it's brilliant and you know i can't speak highly enough of anybody who you know is disciplined enough to he probably does it in the morning as well. Um, but, you know, he's, uh, yeah, the, the, the putting the ball down the wicks rule, though, he probably leaves that until a bit later because you can hear the evidence is, is quite obvious um, when you're running down the ruler. It's quite noisy. Uh, it's not noisy, but, it's, you know, you know that somebody's doing it. And, um, yeah, so he's doing that every day. And, he, you know, he's lowered his handicap from 25 to 5. You know, he's going to find out today what his world handicap uh, is we're anticipating it being a little lower and um, you know but even if it isn't 25 to 5 is an incredible improvement in two years and you know as well and that is well deserved you know he's worked really really hard he set a stall out at the beginning of the year which said um, I want to get a, a competitive round of golf oh, sorry I want to shoot around the golf at level par uh, he did that even you know with a 10-week lockdown he did that um, I'm going to say July, end of July, beginning of August time. And then he did it competitively. Um, and he actually did it in the club championship, which wow. at his club and, you know, which was fantastic. And, you know, the, the disappointing thing from his point of view, not from mine, I'm not you know, going to be disappointed with any delays in progress. Um, you know, he was three under par after 11 and wanted to get to six because he knew that he was that far behind. <laughs> he wanted to get to six. He didn't. He didn't finish up shooting level par, holding a six foot par on the last green. To do that, by the way, um, he didn't. You know, shoot level par because he tried to hang on. He shot level par because he was actually trying to make more birdies. And you know, at that, got the cap yeah. for that one because you know that's a mindset that we had talked about, and he tried it, and it didn't come off. But he got to shoot level par. That's phenomenal. Um, you know, at the age of 13, it was a bit later for me. Um, you know, I never got to the, to the stage where, you know, Kai's looking to go. So, you know, let, let's, let's see, time will tell.
Um, is, there, is there something in a player that you see, Andy, from your your experience on tour and the calibre of golf? Where can you almost see it in, a, in an individual when they've got that, almost, I don't want to say the coin turn, the X factor, but that that's something that's going to take them to that next level? Uh, yes, <laughs> it's that X factor. You know, what is it? But there is something there and... It's oftentimes, there's an element of drive. I think a player has to want it, mm. irrespective of the talent. You see talent a lot, yeah. but you don't see the drive a lot. And um, I'd rather have a player who's driven personally, not by parents, by the way, um, but personally driven um, over any amount of talent. Because if the talent's there, that's fine. But, you know, if they don't want it, it's no point. Because they're not going to train. They're not going to make changes. They're not going to do the things they need to do. They've got to want it. And I, I think the, the difference really is that it's wanted early. It doesn't... I'm not saying it doesn't switch on because it can. but uh, Or it can't switch on because he can. Mm. Um but the player has to want it to a point. A really, really good friend of mine, friend I've known a long, long time. He'll be listening here. And I'm going to, say, I'm going to mention uh, Ian's name. Um, and he, he knows, I'm not mentioning his last name, um, but he, he, he knows who it is. Um, he's, he's got two boys who are sporting boys. Right? One's in football, he's a goalkeeper, uh, and one is a swimmer. Um, the swimmer gets up at four o'clock in the morning and not that dad needs waking uh, or mom needs waking, but you know, he's, uh, he's there ready breakfast, whatever has to be done to get in the pool at the earliest opportunity before he goes to school. Mm-hmm. And he's swimming under 14s. Um, you know, I guess he's going on under 15s now, but he's a year ahead of his age group. So, yeah. you know, at the age of 13, he was um, swimming in the 14s category and 12 probably and you know, in the under 14s category. So he's, um, you know, if I've got any of that wrong, then, you know, I'll be corrected in the next conversation. But ultimately, that desire to be successful is putting him in a world ranking position where he is very high up. And he's, you know, he's top of the, the UK tree uh, or the Great Britain tree at this point in time for his age group. So that's ultimately, that's where we, you know, where that drive is. Now, you know, I'm, as I, you know, I'm not sort of mentioning who they are apart from obviously Ian knows who he is and, you know, he, who his kids are. Um, you know, these successes are not um, by fluke when the desire and determination to do the things that are right are there. Now, at the same time, then coaching has to match the talent uh, to bring everything else out. And you have to have some of that X factor talent code, call it what you will, you know, to go with it. Because if you can't swim, you're not going to become an Olympian in the pool, Um, you know, anytime soon and nor actually should you probably have the desire um, to do so. You know, it's it goes hand in hand, and you know, so swimming is a, an individual sport, albeit you know there are governing bodies that obviously control selections, and you know, but you can't ignore 
great speeds and world records, you know, European records or British records being, you know, sort of uh, broken continually in the pool. So, you know, and likewise with golf, you know, there may well be people around that would prefer certain individuals not to be there um, for whatever reason. But if you're winning all the tournaments, you can't be ignored because too many, too many questions get asked. Yeah. And, and this is it, you know, I, so I've always said to folk, you know, and it was said to me early on, don't tell everybody how good you are. Let the clubs do the talking, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that, that is it at the end of the day. And if you can go through a whole season and manage to come out at the end of the season, you know, having won that particular tour that you're playing on, doesn't matter what tour you're on, to be honest with you. It doesn't matter what your level of competition is. If you're shooting your personal bests every time you go out, you're improving every single time, you know, as collectively as you can, because obviously you don't go out and shoot 81 there and 79, 78, 76. You know, it's not a kind of game, is it? So, you know, but continue to improve. Then, you know, the determination to succeed should reap rewards. And it doesn't always, but, you know, it should. And, you know, and no reason why it shouldn't. But, you know, that's where you have to match the coaching that goes with the player and you know that there is a relationship that is built around you know player coach relationship and parents as well when the, when we're talking about kids you know and you know if it's a tour player the, the rest of the team because you know the putting coach is doing his thing and the swing coach is doing his thing and the psychologist is doing his thing and the manager isn't doing his thing there are going to be some challenges that will ultimately bear out on the golf course that none of the swing psychologists you know, short game coaches can can deal with because of, of a breakdown at the top of the tree, um, you know, which is an off course thing. So the mind has to be clear and as good a psychologist as anybody can be, if the mind isn't clear because of off course activity, then, you know, on course activity is going to be a challenge. So, you know, it is a full team and all team has to be, the whole team has to be pulling in the same rowing direction, you know. So it's... Yes, you can spot the talent in answer to your question, you know, but it's not a straightforward answer. I wish it was, you know, and I wish you could actually tell what it looked like, you know, Um, you know, because it would save an awful lot of parents and children, you know, from, from some of the challenges um, that go with the fact that, you know, that X factor isn't there. And, you know, and of course we know about pushy parents, and I'm extremely fortunate that none of the parents that I'm, you know, of the, of the kids that I'm working with currently are, are pushy parents. They are encouraging parents. They will bend over backwards for their kids, um, you know, as, as good parents do. You know, yeah. we all have, you, you know, you, you're, you're, you're at little man, you know, with, uh, you know, as a, as a dad. And, you know, you do things for your kids because you think it's right. Yeah, you know, you don't know that it's right. You think it's right, mm-hmm. and you know, and sometimes, as parents, especially sporting parents, we can live our lives through our children if we didn't make it happen uh, ourselves. And if that disappoints us or it challenges us, and we're not necessarily disciplined uh, in our own uh, for our own sake, the kids suffer. You know, yeah. and, and that's, that's a big challenge. Um, you know, and a, a lot of parents are not prepared to accept that. Um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a challenging quality that's required. You know, mm-hmm. as we've said, you know, I played golf on the back of 
you know, not enjoying football the way that I really wanted to enjoy sport. And dad gave me the freedom to walk away from his sport, not mine, mm. um, you know, to go and pursue my sport that became both of ours. I mean, obviously dad was playing golf, but, mm -hmm. you know, ultimately we, um, you know, we came to an agreement and dad didn't push me to play golf, but he did say, if you're going to give up football, you need to take up something else or be doing something else yeah. to fill that time. So that was his nudge you know gentle nudge in the right direction to say look you know i have no problem with you making decisions about your life and lifestyle and livelihood even at the age of you know 10 11 12. Mm -hmm. um you know he, he allowed me to grow up real quick and i think one of the things beauty about this i've said it before is you grow up quick in a golf club you know as a kid you know are we are our kids generally accepted at golf clubs no mm -hmm. I don't care how liberated the golf club is, but the kids are generally not accepted at golf clubs because, you know, it's an adult world and it's typically a male adult world, you know, so kids and especially girls, you know, really do get a rough rap and, you know, but it's, it, you know, it's slowly, we're stemming the tide and slowly we're seeing that the new blood or the blood that will support the club in 40 years time is, um, you know, it's the, you know, are being accepted, and you know, generally speaking, when a kid does well at the club and they're representing the club, then the club kind of, hmm, okay, yeah. yeah. What was probably a little bit of jealousy to start with is is now, you know, sort of an acceptance towards. Oh, come on, can we get them in the first team? Can yeah. we get them on the scratch team? You know, um, and and you know, so the kids get bloody quite early. I mean, I was fourteen when I played in the scratch team and represented the club, and. You know, it was a tough baptism. You're out there on your own and you're playing against grown individuals and, you know, grown men owning their own businesses typically and, you know, or managing, you know, significant businesses or banks or whatever it might be, you know, that's what you're up against. And, you know, it's a 14-year-old. Yeah, you either shut up or put up and, you know, and just get on and let your clubs do the talking. Yeah. So, you know, but you yeah. Touched, you, you touched on it with Kyle a little bit earlier on about the, I don't know if it is a, going on our Halloween theme, a trick or a treat today with the new World Handicap System launch. What are your first thoughts on it, Andy? What are the things that you've seen and read and heard um, about the, the new approach to the handicap system in, in the world now, over the, over, around the globe? I, I, you know, in the first instance, I actually like the fact that we've got a global system and I think that, you know, we, it's been a long time coming. Um, why that's been the case is probably as political as anything else, any other decisions that have been made over the weekend. Um, nothing like me to be controversial, is there? Um, don't worry, we'll go there in a minute. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think from a point of view of, you know, the World Golf Handicap System, I think is, you know, has, you know, on paper, uh, something that I'm familiar with. I had five years in Jamaica, as you know, and you know we played a, a slope handicap system back then. Um, the average of the best 10 from the last 20, from my belief, it is the average of the best eight from the last 20. Yeah. And um, I think that will keep the handicaps down. Um, but I don't know all of the nitty gritty you may uh, know a little bit more in terms of if you go out to play golf you have to put a card in that was always the case 
under the old slope system, USGA slope system. Uh, and if you didn't, you ended up with a scratch score. So you better put a card in. And, you know, it, if you, the handicap system could uh, monitor when we went to individual holes, um, could monitor vagities or peculiarities uh, in the scorecard marking. So, you know, finishing with three sixes um, could be deemed to be a little bit peculiar. If it happened three or four times, it would definitely be deemed to be peculiar. And if it was protecting the handicap, it would, you know, would adapt it. Mm. So, um, you know, those were things that were around that I was familiar with. So, you know, I, I think they're, you know, that's something that's ultimately, you know, needs to be addressed. But I don't see that as a bigger deal these days, um, probably because I'm not competing at club level. You know, I'm not yeah. playing in handicap competitions. But trying to protect your handicap, trying to keep your handicap falsely high for the silverware trophies, for the pro-ams, for whatever it might be, you know, I mean, that's, you know, whatever they are, they are, you know, and folk are going to be there. And we know we've got a particularly honest sport, you know, in real terms, but there are a few out there that will try and nudge their handicap in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And there'll be a few out there that will lower their scores because they want to win that particular competition. We know that happens. We can't deny it. We we miss of us to do so. But I think that this handicap system is the fairest way to level the playing field. Yeah, as, um, as you mentioned before about the, the kind of, um, you're almost forcing the hand to put a cut, put a score in. You can, you've got an option now. So it goes back to how the, the, the supplementary card system used to work. Whereas you can go into the pro shop, you can tap into the, the tablet unit in the club that you're going to put this scorecard in today to count towards your, your handicap index. So that's how it's going to work. So for people mm-hmm. who maybe Again, I think it's great who haven't got time to play in the Saturday and Sunday competitions. You can yeah. still put a accounting score in towards your handicap on mm-hmm. a nine-hole roll, roll up. Me and you going out and having nine holes or eighteen holes on a on, yeah. a, on a on a Monday night. It'll be great for that kind of golf. Yeah, I think and that's where it needs to be. It gets us used to having scorecards in our hands for those that don't, you know, like you say, don't get an opportunity to play. I mean, those in retail don't get a chance to play in a competition at a weekend you know, because they're working, you know, so, you know, there's a lot of folk that are, you know, going to benefit from, you know, this and the opportunities and, you know, and youngsters as well. I mean, you know, if, if anybody's got any beef about it and you don't like youngsters winning competitions, this handicap system's for you mm-hmm. because the kids are going to get their handicap wiped in no time. Yeah. So they're not going to be sitting there pulling the silverware out of the, you know, the, the senior members' hands you know, they are literally going to get their handicaps wiped down from, you know, 36 to, you know, to, to 10, you know, in, in next to no time. As soon as they go on a vein of form, you know, and we know that happens, you put them into summer holidays and after schools and they're on the golf course at four o'clock, you know, and they don't come home until 10, you know, then brilliant, you know, let them be rewarded and get their handicaps down. They might miss out on a few competitions that they would have won the previous year. But they'll be playing off a handicap that is, you know, respectful of, of the scores they're shooting. And, of course, the player does dozen times during the winter and the scores aren't very good, then it'll balance things out a little bit. So, yeah. you know, I think it'll be interesting to see how players get used to the fact that, you know, within, you know, sort of 10, 15 rounds of golf, which is still a lot of golf, 
Mm. You know, arguably, it's going to be a couple of months worth of golf. You can flip your handicap, you know, up and down very, very quickly. Yeah. You know, my experience of it with with best 10 um, was plus one to plus four in six weeks. Mm. And, you know, it kind of happened in the blink of an eye, but I hit a purple patch, average scores of 67. And, you know, I'm playing off plus four before I know it, you know, so... um, I was quickly stopped in my tracks, as I may well have said before, by the captain of the club saying, hey, pro, what's it like standing on the first tee four over par and you haven't hit a bad shot yet? What kind of question is that? Um, you know, and on a fast start, birdie, birdie, you know, two reachable par fives, ordinarily to start 6-6, six, six, I was more than four over par and more than just the collective six over par, which on the scorecard it looks like because when you're, yeah. Banking on making shots up on those holes and you, you know, birdie birdie just puts you back to two over. You know, you feel like you're eight over after two, after two holes and only 16, 16 holes to make back eight birdies. So, you know, plus some. And it, and it, it kind of, a, you know, it did put a weird sort of spin on things, really. It was a question I'd never thought of and an answer I didn't really want. Of course, yeah. I've got my back. I've got my own back on the captain on the third tee, but that was beside the point. <laughs> well, that can happen again, Andy. Under the new system now, we we as pros can get handicaps, which is which is really encouraging. I'll play golf though, Gareth. You've got to actually play golf. Yeah, we so, have got to play you know, golf. Out there and actually get a handicap again, aren't I? So, yeah. uh, and I love know. I love about the new system as well as it travels with you. So if we went out to Dubai, if we went to um, you come over here to Stoke and played uh, my golf course, that. Oh, hold on, could, hold on. Could. Dubai, Stoke. Yeah. Well, I had to go somewhere. I tell you what, in the middle of November, I think we're going for Dubai. Um, maybe in the middle of summer, when it's 40, 60 degrees in Dubai, we might consider it the outskirts of Stoke. But yeah. <laughs> jumping, jumping on a bit of, bit of tour talk, have you seen where where the tour is, the, the, the kind of Euro, late European tour is this yeah. week in Dubai? Like, it's an amazing tournament. It, it is. I can't remember it's caught. I just caught a glimpse of it as we, um, you know, we had our pre-chat, mm. um, and you know, I just caught a glimpse of it. And I thought, wow, mid, a golf under moonlight or something. It's That's called, it. That's it? what it's called. Um, and uh, I, I think it's, I think it's awesome. Um, so it, I believe it's Dubai. Um, you know, we, there was a golf course, um, or the international course in Abu Dhabi is floodlit, and. Um, I'm trying to think which of the courses, the uh, the Emirates uh, Academy course is floodlit, so you can play that at night. Um, did you play so at you night, Andy, when you were out there last year? I didn't, no. Um, I, I'm not saying it's a, re- a regret because we're going to do, we, we'll do Dubai again as soon as travel allows us to do that. But um, no, I didn't do it while I was out there. I have played night golf, um, mm. it, you know, and... You know, that's been a lot of fun, you know, under both under Floodley and with, um, you know, sort of night golf. The day glow stuff, yeah. The day glow golf balls. I mean, that's a joke because you have to wait until it's freezing cold, don't you, until you can go out there and play. It's minus five and you, you know, but I was fortunate because we had a par three course at Jamaica. So we put the glow sticks out on the course at one of the hotels and, um, you know, we did it, um, you know, on the little pitch and putt course around there and hosted a tournament. It was, it was fab. Uh, we used to do that every year. We used to play what we call goofy golf and uh, play some really quirky sort of uh, ways around the golf course. So it was, uh, it, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's a little bit dangerous at night, I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah, I've done it myself. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, um, 
yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun, you know, and I, mean, I think there's a lot of ways that you can play golf and make it fun. Um, you know, <laughs> leave the clubs at home. That'd be one way for some folk. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, absolutely. You know, with regards to the girls, I mean, it'd be great to see. And, you know, you do get different perspectives at night. Um, you know, and even with all the floodlighting, which is pretty intense out there, it will be interesting to see how folk actually do, you know, play, you know, 18 holes in, in the dark. And you know, I imagine short game-wise, putting, it must be quite difficult. Yeah, I mean, we had a, at the international course when I was out um, in Abu Dhabi with one of my clients uh, 18, well, two years ago now. Um, you know, he was, um, you know, we stayed there. And so we had the opportunity to go and, you know, sort of, you know, potter around on the driving range, which of course was floodlit. But, you know, to have the putting green in the short game area floodlit was just, you know, superb. Um, you know, and I mean, grass is still growing. You know, those temperatures, I mean, you know, we were shorts and, you know, T-shirt, you know, weather or be sort of Christmas time. So, you know, temperature did drop a little bit, but, you know, it was, it was phenomenal, really, just to get out there and practice your putting midnight. I mean, you know, it's just kind of surreal, but it's great fun. So, yeah, but you don't, you don't, I don't think breaks necessarily show up as much. So you then go into the reliance of feel, which of course, you know, when we talk about aim point is, is all about feel. So, you know, it wasn't something that kind of played with me, you know, too heavily, but you know, I know it did um, with my client, Paul, he, he struggled initially, but we got out there every day and, you know, every night and that gave him a different perspective to, yeah. to what slopes actually were, you know, by feeling them in his feet. And, you know, we even kicked our shoes off and did it that yeah. way. Um, you know, to to get a excuse me a real good sense of it. So you know, there's a lot of lot of things that you can benefit from it. Mm. And then the guys were were in this week in Cyprus. That looked absolutely beautiful. But, and and talking of scary tee shots, that one over the the par five over just a cliff, it just looked amazing. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, scary tee shots. I mean, crikey, you know, we're talking about scary tee shots. What about the sixteenth hole at? Um, uh, at uh, Port Royal in yeah. um, in Bermuda. I mean, I yeah. talk about the scary tee shot there. You know, par three of you know, was it two hundred yards or mm-hmm. you know, I can't remember the total distance. I think it got out there about two hundred yards, didn't it? Um, you know, phenomenal. And yeah, I mean, I, I love all of that. I think you know, and I think one of the things that we've had through lockdown one, and obviously the tour not being able to have the tour, the tour events that we would ordinarily have. You know, we've been to some phenomenal venues and, yeah, they are largely set up for, or typically for, um, you know, tourists to go and play. Mm-hmm. Um, not, you know, all the same, they are great golf courses. And, you, you know, you're going to see some courses that have been designed by, you know, sort of household names that wouldn't necessarily get onto a tour venue because you can't host, you know, sort of 20,000 people. Um, you know, to watch, but makes great television and, yeah. you know, challenges the players to, to come up with, you know, a different venue, a different way of thinking, a different way of getting the job done. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, I've just, I'm, I'm loving the fact that we're getting to see different golf courses. I think more in the States, they're, they're sticking with more traditional courses that they would ordinarily use, um, you know, but maybe, you know, if they are going to consider a limited 
sort of crowd yeah. uh, offering that they can look at some of the venues that are you know typically got not going to need to have um, of course one of the big things is they've had to have a bubble so the venues had to be able to host you know the bubble you know in, a, in effect the, the 150 players the caddies and you know any auxiliary staff that um, you know will be there required to run the tournament so um, you know you're not allowed off-site for that week so you know hotels golf course complexes like that i think it's you know i think it's great i think it's great from from a golf point of view and gives us something fresh and different to look at so where uh, where for you andy where have you stood on a tea box and been petrified pardon the kind of halloween still from this weekend um, connotations where's the scariest you've been tea boxes that petrify me um there's, but there's been a few, uh, yeah, and I'm just trying because you didn't tell me what we were going to be doing on this. You just said, "Gotta, gotta get you." So this is straight, off, this is straight off, the off the bat, straight off the cuff. Twelfth tee at Caymanus in Jamaica. Okay. Um, take us there. I'll take you there. Right. So you walk up a hill to the eleventh green, which is the green itself. I want to say is about two stories high so imagine a, a, in effect a three-story house it's on top of your roof the green sits on top of a standard top of a roof you know the greens up at that height and you're coming in with about a six iron or a five iron into the green if you hit a good quality tee shot this is number 11 so the tee shot itself on number 11 isn't so scary because it's actually quite wide open but you need to get it in the fairway so you've got a perch dot balls you know lie rather than a bit of a grass where the ball sits down because you know it isn't getting up high enough to get up that bank you know and land on the green and stop so you know six iron five iron potentially so you you're going in with two iron off the tee to hit the fairway six iron seven iron at best if you get a really good drive down there you may be able to get your you know sort of shorter wedges or you know sort of nine iron you know in there and get some elevation on it even out of the rough um that's okay you get to the tee uh, get to the green you've walked up this bank and you go like you know it's 35 degrees you know fahrenheit uh, sorry centigrade not fahrenheit you know we we're talking about in the 90s you know and it's just outside of kingston it's hot you know all year round and you get to the top of that green and you go and have your putt and then you've got more than that elevation again to get to the 12th tee but now this is also over probably somewhere in the region of about 100 yards to get up to the tee if you get up there your breath is gone <laughs> it's really hot um you're chucking some water in as fast as the water goes in it's coming out it's pouring out your hands and then you stand on a double out of bounds par five out of bounds left out of bounds right par five got to hit the driver um and i've seen guys stand on there and hit nine iron off the tee it's relatively wide until you add to the fact that there's probably a little bit of breeze because you're at the highest point in the area. You've now got sweaty hands from what feels like 45 degrees of heat. You're walking up there. And so I chucked a couple of bag, uh, gloves in my bag and, you know, I had a glove on. The only time I ever wore a glove mm. um, was put the glove on there and, you know, hit, hit a shot with a glove on because... By the time I took the glove off, it was dripping. You know, it was, put it back in the bag and, 
you know, it was, uh, it, it was dry again by the time I need to use it. But oh, I tell you, that, that one was a scary one for me. There's um, a couple of par threes. I, I was very fortunate to play trial. And, you know, that, the par three at trial, which has got um, uh, the, the ocean on the left and it kind of cuts in front. So basically you've got a gully that takes all of the rainwater out to the ocean. Uh, in front of the green and then the ocean to the left and it could play a nine iron if it was downwind the least club i ever hit into it was four iron and you've got you know caribbean sea on the left hand side i mean it's just stunning but you've got a four iron in your hands and you don't you know wind swirling around and there's a bit of a backdrop so it kind of knocks the wind you know you don't really know what's going to happen to the golf ball hit it solid not a problem but you have got a four or three iron in your hand and um you know so that one that one had you thinking um just trying to think there there's and and one a little bit closer to home you know for me has to be the ninth tee shot at forest of Ireland. yeah everybody talks about it yeah uh, I, I, andrew, andrew cole yeah andrew coltop was getting quite um, fearful you could tell his tones in his voice that he kind of dreaded it on the commentary oh, I hate it. yeah yeah i hate it there's there's just something even the forward tee mm. because you know whatever club you hit then it just gets narrow where the landing zone is because your start of the landing zone now is narrow as well as the end of the landing zone and it kind of dog legs and sort of sneaks a little bit and you've got this water hazard which isn't really a water hazard because you can't visibly see it uh, it's just trees, it's thick forest. I mean, you hit it in there, you know, you, you're dropping down. But, you know, of course, you're dropping down, you know, it's still 250 yards to go to par four. You can, you, you put it in the water hazard, you're going bogey. Yeah. Sorry, you know, off a good pitch and, and putt, you're double bogey invariably. Um, so you can run up anything up, that, up the ninth. You can be three under par and be level by the time you've hit 10th tee. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, um, and, and it gets in your head around about number six yeah. <laughs> you know that's the biggie because um, the eighth's not easy is it that par three it's not easy at the forest barn no guy you never troubled me eight to be honest with you i suppose you know i played it from when i was uh, it was nine I, I think eight eight yeah you're right eight is a difficult um, position um you know if you go the tee back into the um into the pond you know it's a great tee um, and it's all carryover water. It's great, you know. I've got no problems with it, but it, you know, it, it throws no fear, you know, into the mix because you know what's coming. So I guess eight. I think eight probably is the, the biggest challenge about eight is the fact that nine follows. Mm-hmm. Eight's a relatively innocuous hole. It's a 180 yard carryover water. For some folk, that's going to be a challenge. Of course, it is. Mm-hmm. But you can bail right. I mean, you know, you can hit it right. You can make it a, you know a par four if you wanted to, you know, deliberately miss the green and make the carry very short, but, um, and you shouldn't be playing off the championship tee if you can't hit it that far mm-hmm. either. That's another thing I would say, but yeah, you know, I don't think eight, I think just the biggest issue with the, with the eighth hole is that the ninth tee shot follows it. Yeah. So um, and the beauty of, of all this that we're talking about, Andy, I'm going to find these tee shots and I'm going to put them just about there somewhere. So people are American viewers who may be not familiar or, or global audience who, who aren't familiar with these golf courses. I will pop some imagery in right. the video. 12th tee K Manus, <laughs> fourth green or fourth tee shot at um, trial. And they used to play that in the um, championship. I think it was the 17th. 
um, because the 18th hole then had the viaduct. Uh, I don't know if you're probably a bit too young to remember it, but when Faldo was winning, you know, world championships, then in the early 90s, um, I think he won 95 um, there. Um, you had to hit under the viaduct on the 18th, which was phenomenal. And, you know, it was quite straightforward because we had, you know, blocks of wood back then, which would low, low launch. I'm not so sure what he does now. You know, I was only thinking about this the other day, I mean, even before we even talked about scaries. Um, you know, some of the, some of the inc just incredible tee shots that, you know, ultimately you get thrown in there. That was the 18th hole. And I think he played about a, a drive and an eight iron or something like that. But if you wanted to hit three wood because you wanted to hit the fairway, then, you know, that's going to launch a little bit higher. And, you know, you, you really want to launch it underneath that viaduct. If mm -hmm. I can remember rightly, you had to launch it underneath it. So it was close enough to be able to do that. But as soon as you start to get a club that's got 15 degrees of loft on it, you know, you pop one up a little bit, you can hit that viaduct. The, wow. um, yeah, it'd be kind of interesting to see it all again. It was 20 years since I played there. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I'm gonna, nice, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you to Florida for mine. I'm gonna take you to the TPC of Sawgrass. The 18th tee box is probably the scariest tee shot I've ever hit in my life. Yeah, yeah. There's a, yeah. I mean, I and I can ultimately see why. And you know, and obviously the 18th at the Belfry has mm -hmm. its own merits. But I think the only reason why I haven't sort of pulled those out is because, well, well that particular hole for me. I've not played sawgrass, so um, you know, for, for me that doesn't equate. Um, but the the 18th at the Belfry, you know, you you have choices as to how much you bite off. Yeah. So you know, we've seen the Ryder Cups hinge on you know the choice of biting it off or not. We've seen many a great player end up in the water, um, you know, and we've seen all sorts of miraculous shots played from short of the water you know Azinger hitting it in the greenside bunker from just short of the water and you know which is a ridiculous amount to carry but you know and of course the ups and downs it makes bogey for a half and you know it didn't stop Europe taking the trophy that year but it, you know so there's there's a lot of things that can happen you know in a tee shot um, there but yeah for me it was one of those tee shots that no as much as a right to lefter you know, that wasn't a tee shot that sort of troubled me too much. Um, yeah. But I can, but, but I think the difference is because you, you kind of see, you can see your landing area more than you can see the water hazard itself. Mm -hmm. With sawgrass, I get it because I've played, um, you know, at, on ocean line courses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, you, when you're teeing it up and you've got the ocean on the right and, you know, sort of just a narrow strip of fairway and then dunes on the other side, um, there is no miss left and no miss right. I would think that 18 at Pebble would fall into that as well, but again, not a course that I've played. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't put it in into my sort of three, but yeah, three tee shots there, quite different, quite quite challenging, you know, par five. Um, yeah, par, tough par four and a par three. I mean, I didn't plan on doing that. Like I say, I've done them off the cuff, but... Yeah, that's, uh, that's, really, that's really cool. And, and we yeah, get... I mean, I've, don't get me wrong, I've played some really tough path, tough tee shots and some tough, but ones that stand out, you know, the, the two in Jamaica especially, and I think the element of 17, or would have been 17, I think it was the fourth, you know, when we played it, was, um, 
you know, just it, it was also an iconic tea shop um, mm. as well over the water and, uh, you know, with the ocean on the left and kind of just smacks. I'm looking outside thinking it's, it's not Jamaica outside. Well, yeah. I am like, so um, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thing, isn't it? With it, with car, I love it. Doesn't um, with you? Um, ocean courses don't fear me because of that kind of just. It's a spectacle, and like you said, I played. Been lucky enough to play places like County Down and um, mm-hmm. and, and Port Marnock and places like that. And they they kind of frame the whole. They frame the golf course. The, the comparison to where somewhere like a sawgrass on the 18. It just felt so open. There was there's yeah. so much water on the left, and then you could bail out, like you said, on the on the right. Um, yeah. But it was just the expanse of water that put the the heebie-jeebies in me, shall we say? I know, I know it, and you know, you look on those, like you say, on the ocean courses. I mean, you know, the old adages that come out, and you hear commentators saying, you know, when a player puts it in the ocean, you just go like, you know, the whole world's on the left hand side, and you put it in the ocean on the right. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> how can you miss it there? Um, you know, when you can just aim over here, but it is, you know, that sort of magnetic attraction and the fact that you stand on the tee and in awe of, you know, what God's just painted in front of you. You know, it is literally the, the most incredible visual landscape, seascape, you know, combination of the two, of course, you know, invariably at these links courses and you just, they're spectacular. And, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah. But you know, likewise, you know, I love love the challenges of links, you know, a links course, but you know, just as much, you know, the the inland courses as well. But, mm-hmm. um, what's the scariest thing you've ever seen on a green? In terms of a slope or a putt or just uh, a, yeah, a particular putt. You know, again, maybe a course that we're familiar with, but you've seen it and maybe even putted it. I'd say the. Correct me if I'm wrong here. I've got the holes right. It's the 17th at Valderrama, isn't it? It's the the par five with the water at the front. Yeah. Probably that that hole. Um, and again, I, I hit a decent drive. I hit a, an approach shot that has left me short of the water. I hit this little little wedge onto the green, and I was at the back of the green, and the pin was mm-hmm. at the front, and the water is it, just looming because the, the the front of the green is shaved down into the the water so if you put it off yeah. the green you're in the water and and my caddy literally did say take the toe of your putter and lean on the ball and it will go and it and it did and i still i don't know how i did but i kept it on the green just about but that was probably the most fearsome because it was more embarrassment. I'm thinking if I knock it off the green and knock it in the water here, it's almost like somebody knocking it off the green and putting it into a bunker. It's it's a bit unheard of. It, that yeah, for me that was scary. I've seen that happen uh, both actual occasions or, or both occurrences. I've seen both of those, and in fact, actually two of my rules exam questions in the PGA back in 1993. When I were a lad, um, <laughs> was uh, were, were just that you know the ball is finished. One question, the one question that I got, well, I got very similar questions. So um, they were walking the park for me to just get them right and get out of there. I was done in about seventeen minutes. I think my rules exam took me with a hundred percent, you know, distinction. So uh, rules were something that I was particularly, you know, sort of keen. Uh, you know about when I was a junior and when I you know I was given a rule book said you need to read it forwards and backwards and forwards again 
you know, so I, I don't know how many times I did that. I could quote the rule books and then get because every two years they change the rules, so they always change. Um, but certainly back in the day, and I remember getting asked the question in my rules exam, which said, a player, player A has hit the ball three feet above the hole on a par four, all right? He's on the green in regulation. He proceeds the putt, catches the edge of the hole, the ball rolls off the green or down the slope, off the green and into a bunker. What are his options? I, well, fortunately for me, um, I'd come across a scenario relatively similar and didn't take one of the options. Well, of course, there are a number of options. and Maybe we should do a quiz here yeah. um, and, and actually set it out. So um, option one, I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to tell you what it is and we might just do a rules quiz one somewhere along the line, um, mm. going down, down one of the later, maybe round three, we'll do a rules yeah. quiz each time. Um, but, but one of the, one of the options is of course to play out the bunker. It's, you would, would be your first thought, you know, you just walk into the bunker, it's where I've hit it too. So not very happy, of course, because you've just hit two great shots into your, uh, or regulation shots to three feet above the hole. And now you've got a bunker shot. So talk about embarrassing. But of course, the other option is that you could return the ball to where it was under penalty of one shot, declare the bunker shot unplayable and return the ball back to where it was because you can always play it. Now, again, under penalty of one shot. So you've, you've now got a bogey putt from three feet instead of a birdie putt that you had just a few minutes ago, but now you're not facing a bunker shot. So I don't know what I would do because I might fancy my chances of holding the bunker shot. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty good at bunkers, but I don't hold that many, but I've now got a chance to make a four or run the risk of putting for five back into the bunker because if it's that quick the first time probably not going to hit it so hard but I've now got an option to play my next shot if I had a really good bunker shot to three feet there's a big chance that I could end up above the hole mm. albeit probably not um, just because of the speed of the green so there's a dilemma but you know when you lose your head having just put it off the green you don't think about the actual option that you might have to go back to where hit it where from where you started and the next option the next question I had, which was actually question five. So that might have been question two. Question five was, a player's hit it to the fringe of the green and he's chipped it onto the green, off the green the other side and into the water hazard. What are his options? So now the ball is technically lost. Mm. What are the options? And of course you could drop the ball on the side of the green because now rather than place it because you were on the green, you can drop it on the side of the green Back then, I think I, you may have been, no, not the shoulder. you wouldn't have been chucking it over your shoulder, no. But you'd have been, you know, we'd have been doing our Dalek impressions. So, you know, dropping it from shoulder height. But certainly, um, yeah, it was, a, it was one of those, um, you know, things for me that, you know, the, the questions came up, but I'd already been in those scenarios and, you know, and, and seen more than one person put it working at the Belfry, playing the Brabazon course, entertaining the 10th hole every now and again, which tended to entertain us more than we entertained it, um, mm. you know, putting off the fringe or putting off the green and into the water. Yeah. That, that happened, you know, so, um, and you need to understand your option because one of the options is you go to the other side of the water, <laughs> you know, depending on where you are in relation to the hole. So, you know, and, you know, you don't want to be chipping when you could be dropping you know, on the side of the green. So, you know, all of these things are, 
you know worthwhile knowing you know and and knowing that you know you've got a, a got an option um you know going forward so yeah you know so i've seen some scary stuff but um <laughs> the probably the most difficult hut or green scenario that i had i've mentioned it before was the 10th green at, at sandals where i was mm. head growth and director of golf for four and a half years and that was pretty scary if you got the wrong side of the hole you know and, and the, the year that i won the tournament there it was um i i'd hit a cracking approach shot played nine holes as a practice round and i was told to play 11 or 12 if i was going with 10, 11 holes maybe um you know if i was smart and i didn't go up to number 10 i never gave it a thought when i was on the course itself and uh played my approach shot into the middle of the green as you do you know you're unfamiliar with the course you've only played nine holes as a practice round and proceeded to put it off the green Fortunately, it got snagged up in the fringe because some people put it off the green and ended up, you know, with a pitch shot. You know, I ended up with a little chip shot. Um, and I did chip it because the, the lie suggested that it was a better option to chip it. And I got up and down from there. So I hit the green in two and I come up with a five, but only had two putts. Um, and that was the saving grace. I actually played 54 holes without three putting. I was the only person to have done that, but then I had to admit in the winner's speech that um, I had putted it off the green at number 10 in round one. So um, <laughs> technically still only. <laughs> and, and I chose to chip it, and I'll be perfectly honest, I chose to chip it to make sure that I didn't hit the butter three times on that hole because um, I felt a bit embarrassed about that. Um, but actually it was the right shot to play because it was a pretty rough bit of rough ground in front and very little chance of keeping the ball online. So just one of those. You know. Good fun, really good fun. Uh, but you know, if you play golf for 43 years, you'll come across some ridiculous putts on greens and you know i think one of the most fun apart from the fact that it was freezing cold but the most fun afternoons i've ever had was at the end of tournament play and a quarter past six on a tuesday evening in st andrews playing golf on the himalayas and that putting green out the side of the um at the court of the clubhouse is just so much fun I'll put a picture down there because it is so much fun. And, and the pictures, guys, will not do the slopes anything like justice. A little bit like they all say, if you've never been to Augusta, then, you know, you can't appreciate just how hilly it is. You know, some of these slopes were ridiculous. So, you know, but again, great fun. And I don't think there was a single part two on any one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, so... Yeah, oh, brilliant. Cracking, cracking, yeah, cracking. Yeah, and of course, you know, we did that with a whole bunch of industry, you know, professionals. When I say industry professionals, not golf professionals, but industry professionals, these are the guys from the tour trucks from Callaway and Cleveland and Ping and, you know, Odyssey. And, you know, we all got together. We just chucked a, a, a I think we put a 10 or 20 pounds in the pot. Um, St Andrews gifted us the green fees for you know for the opportunity to play, and we put the money into the charity pot. And the winners, the winner gets to choose the charity, um, you know, and 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 that happens pretty much every year at some point during the year. And you know, if it hasn't happened before they get to St Andrews, right at the very end of the year, it happens there. So I've been fortunate to play in that, um, you know, and it's because I only qualified because of my training aids through T-strokes, I represented T-strokes. I didn't win, however. Um, <laughs> there were some ridiculous putts being hold, and uh, you'd have to question some of the handicaps of some of these players. Anyway. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Andy, I was the first 
podcast out of the blocks of round two. Was that good for you? It was good for me. Um, yeah, absolutely. We haven't done much in the way of tour talk, which of course, you know, that's kind of where we're at. Here in the UK, we are heading into lockdown. It gives me a great opportunity to be able to turn around and say that Instagram Live is back. Yay! Um, those of you that followed us during Instagram Live during the first lockdown, you're in for a treat. Um, I don't quite know how it's going to work out because daylight is first issue. Kids coming back in from school because we have the kids here. So, it was, uh, you know, anyway, it's going to be around about four o'clock UK time, um, you know, here. And it'll probably be in the living room most weeks. Uh, I would think it will predominantly be on putting. We haven't set how many days yet, um, but we're going to start this Friday and we'll probably do a Friday and a Wednesday and a Friday. I don't know, something like that so that we can get podcasts in on the, uh, on the Monday. Um, we will keep coming to you with as much information as we can. Next week, of course, we head into the major that, we all wait for to start the season and of course we're just about to unstart the season you know with uh, we're going into lockdown and you know that's going to be a challenge for us all because we all love to get out on the golf course as soon as we've watched the uh, augusta um, event unfold before our eyes and you know we will chew it over next week it will be a masters edition we will have a special guest on as well um to be revealed. Um, just got to work out which time zone TW's in that day, and then we can actually throw it in. Is he in Jupiter? Is he in August? Uh, yeah, we don't know. So we just got to figure it out, you know, and sort of make sure that uh, it doesn't interfere with practice rounds and all of that sort of stuff. So uh, uh, we will have a special guest on um, who has experienced the Masters. Um, and, you know, so he's going to give us a little bit of an inside. I'm sure a few of you out there have also experienced the Masters. And if there's any questions that you'd like to know about Augusta ahead of time, you know, fire them into us. You know, you can contact me at uh, golfatandygorman.com. Uh, love to have your questions in. We can ask special guests. We can ask some of my contacts that have been to Augusta, have played Augusta, um, you know, to maybe give you a little bit more of an inside um the ropes experience and um you know we'll get as much as we can uh information about augusta to you so i'm quite looking forward to masters edition uh next week and of course we have a sponsor for next week as well so tune in to find out what you've got to do with a chance to win a special prize uh for next week as well so looking forward to it i'm glad we've got round two underway i'm glad we managed to get through with at least a level par in round one um, and we're looking forward to going subpar in round two so uh, we hope you get to enjoy it but if you've got any questions that you'd like us to answer feel free to do that and uh, this time next week I'll put some lights on as well so you can see me a little bit more clearly towards the end of the round um, thanks for listening you know where to find us Andy Gorman Golf andygormangolf.com and all the social channels at Andy Gorman Golf. And remember, check us out on Facebook, uh, on the, sorry, Clubface Golf uh, on there. And you can have a listen to us wherever you happen to be listening or capable of doing so. And again, you can watch us on YouTube because we're now there as well. So Gareth, thank you so much, mate. Thank you, Andy. It's fun to actually see you whilst we've been 
chatting away today. Uh, and we hope that our faces don't put you off too much uh, for tuning in next time. But until this time next week, have a safe one, stay well, and we'll see you then.